Welcome to The Leadership Journey. I'm Holly Ferguson. And I'm John Barclay. In this episode, we're going to talk about all things psychological safety and how that intersects with culture. John, I've heard a lot about psychological safety on social media, LinkedIn, primarily LinkedIn. What does it really mean? Because I feel like we're getting some statuses made about it or maybe um, infographics, that sort of thing, but I don't really have a grasp of what it's about. Yeah, it, it is a very hot topic at the moment. It's probably been a hot topic for about the last decade or so, but it's really getting a lot of um, airtime now over the last few years. Fundamentally, psychological safety to me, and I think when you look at all the different readings around it and all the different research around it, it's just it's getting to the heart of the trust within teams and. I think for me, though, it is at the fundamental level of trust. The trust I have in my team, the trust I have in my leader, the trust they have in me, um, and, and then that, that starts to evolve in how the culture is, is created around how we're prepared to trust each other to ask questions, trust each other to challenge each other uh, around what we're doing or saying, trust each other to actually own up and, and make, say we've made a mistake or we didn't do something that I said I was going to do. And, and then how we all respond to that is whether we keep building the trust or we start to lose the trust. What does a psychologically unsafe work environment look like? Yeah, look, I, I think without getting into all the technicalities of that, fundamentally it's high fear. People aren't comfortable. People are fearful of um, what's going to happen to them. Uh, fearful of how people are going to respond and I think while it's a very complex subject there's lots of moving parts to this and I think the leaders that have a really good impact on their culture understand that and try to move it through but if I was just to put it on a linear term you know down one end you've got high fear and at the other end you've got high trust and the psychological safety part is trying to measure the the journey and get an understanding of the journey between one and the other. Are you finding that because it's a topic that's on people's minds and people are talking about it more, that it's starting to work its way more into how you deliver culture change services? Definitely. I think for me, trust has been a core part of what I've been doing in culture change for the last 20 years anyway. I think it's probably broadened it out a bit. I think what I've liked about what psychological safety is doing in in the world of information for people is it's starting to give people some tangible concepts that sit in those spaces around the way we communicate with each other and the way we give each other feedback and what happens as a leader when I'm presented with bad news. What happens? How do I respond to that? How do I keep creating a space where people feel okay to keep doing that even though it's difficult, it creates more work, it's probably quite challenging but how do I keep fostering that to be a safe place to do that? So it's not just some sort of fad thing that people are into now and will pass through and move on and we'll forget about it, jump on the next train? No, look, yeah, it, it's, yeah, to be really honest, at, at, at the core of it, it's nothing significantly new. It's just getting some better context mm-hmm. to it. I think a little bit better understanding of the dynamics behind trust and the way people feel in a workplace or even in any team um, to 
own up and and, and articulate exactly what's happening for them and how they're feeling and what they're thinking and um, the perceptions they have of things. I think we've been trying to influence that for a long time and, you know, psychological safety is just another way of trying to frame that up and ke- keep that conversation going. This episode, our guest is Ellen Downs. Ellen is a sought-after business partner for clients seeking transformative change, and she is a senior consultant with LMJ Group. Welcome, Ellen. Hi, Holly. Hey, Ellen. It's good to get a chance to talk to you. We're going to be talking about culture, and I really love the idea of having a conversation around how psychological safety fits into that. But before we start, culture is quite a subjective subject, and I know there's lots of different definitions around, but how do you define it, and how do you characterise culture? Culture, such a big beast of a thing. So I guess if I was to coin it in in an elevated speech, I would talk about it as being the way we do things around here. So those social norms that we've established, uh, the things that we sustain through symbols, systems, behaviours, uh, and, and how those aspects influence our interrelationships and interactions in and amongst different levels of work, different teams, uh, and how we try to drive the best, best performance to get the outcomes we're looking for. When you think about that, the relations part in there, a lot of, a lot of conversations around culture now are starting to talk about psychological safety. Before we dig into that, what is psychological safety and how would you describe it and what's that about? So psychological safety really has very little to do with our more traditional view of, of safety in organisations. It's really about how, how we feel and the belief that we have within our team that, that suggests we would not feel to be punished or humiliated or intimidated for speaking up with ideas, innovation, questions, concerns, errors, mistakes. So it's really that that safe, when we have high levels of psychological safety, it's a safe space to bring up, talk to others within our in our team uh, that, that allows us to bring our whole self to work. And how does psychological safety play a part within culture? So culture, and, and in particular psychological safety, gets to the heart of culture by focusing on the interrelationships and interactions amongst our people, particularly in our teams. The research that I tend to focus on and, and am drawn to was done by Amy Edmondson uh, back in the late 90s and, and early 2000s, where she was really interested with her PhD in psychology on what makes a high-performing team and and are there indeed less errors, less mistakes and, and less performance failures, I guess, in teams that have that have um, high degrees of, of interaction and capability. Uh, and, and, and her assumption or her hypothesis in that was to think, well, do we actually see less errors? That was her assumption in teams that are high performing on, on your standard performance metrics. So she focused her study on uh, the US health sector to, to uncover findings in that area. And what she actually found was counterintuitive. It was actually that teams that performed highly on those health 
standard health metrics of performance, actually also had high numbers of errors and mistakes that were reported, recorded, and, and spoken up. So what she found was that cultures where teams felt more comfortable, were, were felt safer within their team to speak up about errors, were able to address those errors before they became catastrophic um, and, and were able to learn better from their mistakes. There was a more uh, focused effort in, um, in looking for the, what John, you and I talk about as being adaptive uh, issues and complex problems rather than taking a quick fix or a technical approach to a problem and, and just fixing it there and then. So yeah. I think culturally what we end up with is an opportunity to really think through, explore, uh, uncover some of those things that we may not have anticipated or that bring about that diversity and inclusion of thought and, and commentary that help us to better deal with tough issues. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the exciting part about unpacking psychological safety in the performance of teams because the assumption of a high-performing team is they're making less errors where actually a high-performing team acknowledges where the gaps are and work together on getting better at that. Yes, absolutely. And I think as, as the, the, the study evolved and... and um, Amy coined psychological safety as her, as her, I guess as her heading for that work. Uh, there was, there was a lot more involvement, a lot more, um, of data gathering after her publishing of her study that enabled the, the, the greater level of data and the greater level, level of analytics that identified for, um, predominant domains that contribute to psychological safety, whether it be high or low. So those domains are really focused on open conversation being almost fundamental in this space. Because if we have open conversation and it's high in teams, we see teams that are more willing to speak up, not only with ideas and different thoughts, but also any concerns or errors or mistakes that come up that we can bring to the table, the tough issues that we can bring to the table and talk about to learn and develop and eliminate barriers and mistakes in the future. The second one is diversity and inclusion, but it's taking diversity and inclusion beyond some of our more fundamental uh, views of that topic being, is it gender, is it ethnicity, is it religion, is it social status? but rather diversity of thought and diversity of input, getting as much input from, from everyone as we can so that we can contribute to better learning and, and better outcomes ultimately. The third domain is willingness to help. So beyond the space of putting my hand up and saying, can I have a hand with this project? It's more about demonstrating our vulnerability, being humble recognising that we don't know everything and that as a team, through collaboration, we can get better outcomes. Uh, but also feeling as part of a team, my differences and my experience and knowledge 
is utilized and valued by the team and subsequently I feel more satisfaction. I feel like bringing my whole self to work because it's valued. And the last domain is attitude to risk and failure, which, to be honest, is in conflict with my more traditional work in safety culture. But this is about attitude to risk and failure within levels of tolerance. So really recognising what is tolerable and where if we're starting to creep to the edges, how do we respond? How do we celebrate, in fact, a culture where people do speak up, where risk and failure is not seen as as bad, but rather a, a, a natural expectation of human fallibility? So those domains really help us to contribute to building strong psychological safety in teams and in organisations. But it really it, it addresses the, the emerging and, and more uh, prevalent challenge of psychosocial risk and psychosocial hazard, particularly in organisations. For me, when we've been working with organisations around this area, sometimes it's about stripping it back to the relationships that we build with people and and fundamentally how much trust we build and then that opens up that conversation well what is trust and trustworthiness and how do you actually pay closer attention to that because I mean psychological safety is that I trust my team and my leader that if I speak up and say something that I'm not going to be judged or ridiculed or intimidated by it or humiliated by it so trust is a fundamental piece that sits within all of this absolutely and it's when I work with organisations and with leadership teams in this area, the foundation for me, and, and I often attribute the discussion to the work of Kim Scott, who's written a number of books, um, a lady and, and senior leader out of the tech industry in the US, who worked quite a lot in uh, Eastern Europe, Russia and, and other, other Stan countries. And she really talks to building trusting relationships through caring personally and challenging directly. So she coins that as being radical candor. And the more as leaders we can practice radical candor on a a minute-by-minute, day-by-day opportunity with our teams, we build that foundation of trust that enables and fosters higher psychological safety within teams. What's your main bit of advice to leaders who are trying to evolve the culture and a part of that is around psychological safety and building more trust? I think it starts by being more aware, being curious, really creating the platform and the space and the time for building those trusted relationships with individuals in our organisation. Finding that one opportunity within our businesses that we can use our sphere of influence to encourage others to build those trusting relationships uh, and check in. Not only be curious about how the relationships are working, but check in on feedback, with feedback, on how others are experiencing our leadership styles and practices and what we pay attention to. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to hearing more about your insights in this area. That was quite helpful for me chatting with Ellen to understand a bit more about psychological safety because as I said in the beginning, 
I'm seeing stuff about it on LinkedIn, but it's not really coming together in a cohesive message. Ellen gets really into the detail around psychological safety, which I always find helpful. I think when you try to understand something, to dig into it a bit gives you greater clarity. I think at the moment a lot of the messaging around psychological safety is still staying at a very high level. It's not actually getting into some of the detail, but getting into those four domains is really helpful to start thinking about, well, what are some of those elements you need to think about? I mean, thinking about how how we're having that open communication and what is our attitude and mindset to risk and failure and the willingness to help and unpack some of that in regards to our humility and requesting things and moving through things, but also diversity and inclusion. That has been taking quite a broad perspective, as, as Ellen said, around gender and all the different elements of diversity that come in. But at the heart, it's about diversity of thought, which I actually found very helpful. And I guess it's also allowing those thoughts to happen and not shooting people down straight away and kind of goes back to the listening and open-mindedness, I suppose, as well. The interesting thing for me is we get into these conversations about culture and, and, and this one around psychological safety curiosity keeps coming up you know it's about people and leaders being curious and while we put it in the context of the leader and the leader creating a culture and shaping the culture and what they're doing to drive that culture it's about them being curious I think that's probably the most important part we start at is the leaders being curious but now what we're digging into is everyone in the team to have psychological safety needs to be curious And that brings it to the diversity point of view. It's not one person's perspective. It's everyone in on it. Exactly. And I think that's what this is bringing. When we've been talking about trust in the past, it's about do I trust you? This is now going, am I being curious enough to potentially change my perspective on something, my own bias towards something? And you know, you look at all the movements around the world right now in that space. We are trying to get people to realise that based on your world and your upbringing, you've you've had your own bubble per se. You know, you've had your own world view of things and there's different world views. And being curious to that allows you to really start to see where different people are coming from from a high-performing team point of view, that can be extremely powerful because now we're solving problems in in ways that me as an individual could never think of because I've got my limited span of thought based on my bias. So that diversity and inclusion of thought fundamentally requires curiosity. And to me, it sounds like it's an appreciation of people's different backgrounds and people's different experiences because why wouldn't you want a diverse team full of people who have different viewpoints because that allows you to, if, especially if you're a client service, interact with clients in a very personal way. Everyone is going to resonate a bit more with one particular thing than another or one particular client than another. When you actually look at those domains then, they're going to interact with each other because if I'm cur- if I'm staying curious and, and open to the diversity and inclusion of ideas and thoughts and I'm about to try to do something I wouldn't normally do based on what others have suggested and created a, a solution to, then I've got to have I've got to have a very open mind to risk because it means I'm trying something that I'm not comfortable with and confident with and 
in my mind, the likelihood of failure may be quite high. So I have to deal with my attitude towards risk and failure then because if I'm taking on someone else's suggestion, idea on solving a problem, but it's nowhere near aligned to how I would normally think, I've got to trust that you know, and I've got to be able to step into that. And then I've got to be, the open communication that's got to come with that for us to be able to articulate how I'm feeling. You know, I'm actually feeling quite nervous about that. I'm, I'm happy to give it a go and work with it, but there's still some uncertainty sitting in whether that's going to work or not. Um, I, I just think it all starts to come together when you actually think about that curiosity bit sits in all those domains. And trusting your team to know that when you're expressing concerns about potential risk or uneasiness that they're not going to judge you for it. Ellen articulated that really well at the start. The psychological safety is about being able to be a part of a team without being judged and, and humiliated and criticised for being you and contributing to the team the way you contribute. So, John, given that this is our last episode, what have you taken away from the whole series and everyone we've spoken to? Learning how to understand and identify where your culture's at and what you want your culture to be. Yeah, I think that's the that's the biggest takeaway is know what you want your culture to be. Sit down, take the time and define it so you know exactly what the attributes are of the culture you want. And what good looks like. Yeah, so what good looks like, how would you see it, how would you feel it, how would you define it. That's the most important part and I think the most common thing we're hearing through this is just staying curious, staying open, be prepared to seek to understand. I think for you to really get a good chance of understanding your culture, you've got to know what what it should look like and you've got to be curious and open to what it is. Open to hearing the home truths, I suppose. Yeah, look, I mean, the reality is once you start digging into these things, you're probably going to hear things that are difficult to hear. And if you're a leader in a business, you're probably going to be hearing a little bit about what you've created and the impact you've had, and those can be hard to hear. And something we've spoken about throughout this is having courage, being courageous. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't think you can embark on seeking to understand your culture and the factors of your culture without being courageous as a leader because you're being vulnerable. You know, you're actually asking people to give you some some feedback around what you've created. Like I've said a few times culture is a mirror of yourself or a mirror of leadership and when you want to go and find out about what the culture is or the good and the bad of it, it's good to hear what the good parts are. That reinforces some of the elements you've done as a leader but it can be difficult to hear the bad parts. Well, I've certainly walked away with a great understanding of how to identify my culture, whether that's using stages that Jeff talked about and understanding your culture. But if I'm a leader, what do I do now? I've identified where I'm at. I've got a better understanding because I've spoken to people. Where to? Big question depending on what you've heard. But I guess in, in fundamental terms, the first step is communicate what you've heard. You think that's the biggest mistake we make. We go run a survey, we go do a bunch of focus groups, interviews, and we gather a bunch of feedback and information and we don't get back to people to say, hey, thank you everyone for your feedback and your input. This is what we've heard. That's the fundamental first step. The second step is if you've heard things, what are those quick wins? What's the low-hanging fruit that you can go out and start to not only say we've heard you, but we're acting on the fact that we've heard you. 
and those are just simple things. In any of this process, you'll get environmental stuff, you'll get that hygiene factor stuff, and it could be as simple as going and getting the toilets fixed or whatever it is. You'll demonstrate to people that you've heard them and you're taking action on this stuff. Putting more coffee out, more tea. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, one of the funniest examples I ever heard was there's just not enough microwaves in the crib room and we can't heat our food up in the time that we have for our breaks. So go put some more microwaves in the crib room. And it's so easy. So easy. And it shows you care because you listen and you made it a better place for them to work in that they can. They all have a microwave and they can heat their food up and have lunch without rushing. And so what's next? Then you probably need to start building your strategy around all the things you've heard. So what are the list of hygiene factors? So there's going to be some early ones you can get a win on quite quick and easy. There's going to be some that are a bit more complicated. It might be around upgrading all the lighting systems in the business or stuff so people feel safe in every area. So they may require a budget and a project plan to get that. So managing out your hygiene factor actions Plan out your systems improvement that you've heard. Those systems that aren't working or are missing or are too complicated, people don't you know don't value them. Put a plan together around how you're going to streamline those, improve those, or create those. And then the last one's probably going to be around all the behavioural aspects that sit, and that's that's going to be the ongoing strategy. How are you going to create alignment? How are you going to get some alignment to what's what are the standards here and the behaviours here and how are you going to monitor that? How are you going to implement conversations around that more frequently? And how are you going to implement a way for people to give each other feedback and get feedback from leaders around those behaviours? So that becomes more of a development plan that you need to put together that will have a sequence of events that need to occur to make sure that you keep touching base on that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Leadership Journey. If you'd like to follow us, our social media links are in the description. At Barclays, we wish to acknowledge the custodians of this land, the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation, and their elders past, present and future.